Ben Spindler said that it was an overly ambitious project would never get finished. And he wasn't wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but we've given it a good crack, haven't we, really? So to join me on this particular episode, Mr. John Dinsdale, Steel Show Wrestling Magazine. How are you, sir? I'm all right. I'm not bad. There's a very like concerning yet funny little video on Twitter at the moment from Merck, who was at a show in Tennessee yesterday, and a fan tried to put hands on him, so he just whacked him in the head with a tube bundle like okay that's that's fairly old school mixed with new school i mean it's the fan deserved it he's literally trying to chalk him out so it's just like right fuck you (laughs) tubes to the head listen if you're a professional wrestling fan be a professional wrestling fan you are not part of the show you are there to be entertained that is the point stop doing these things the funny thing is, this does technically link in with what we're talking about today. It does, kind of, yes. <laughs> because the wrestler we're going to talk about like to hit people in the head with random objects a lot of the time as well. It did. Now, well, she did. Yes, today we are going to look at Dump Matsumoto with the announcement that Netflix is looking to produce a documentary series about one of the most evil, well, no, I would argue, the most evil professional wrestler of all time, the ultimate heel, the bad guy's bad guy, if you will. Don Masmoto is everything that is wrong with professional wrestling in such a good way. And she's been a massive influence on Japanese pro wrestlers. She's been a massive influence on wrestlers around the world. And uh, we thought it was a good time for us to have a look. Not that we're jumping on the bad wagon of Netflix at all, <laughs> no, but we do realise that perhaps you want to know more about Dun Matsumoto, as she's been in the news recently. So we do try and link our videos in together. And to be honest, if I make John watch any more New Japan Pro Wrestling, he might cry. So, um, and, you know, we are back with the Today at Best of Super Juniors World Tag League series. There will be another edition of that at some point when I get around to watching it all and catching up. But anywho, for now, Dun Matsumoto. What are your thoughts on Dun Matsumoto as a wrestler? In as herself, what's the first thing you think of when you think of Dub, John? Uh, usually her stabbing someone in the head with something, to be honest. Like, every time I've seen a Dump Matsumoto match, even before um, we put the playlist together, it's always been violent, it's always been quite um, just physical. You're not getting pure wrestling masterpieces, you are getting fights. It's like... She is the ultimate badass of, like, Japanese women's wrestling. Like, I don't... By sheer presence, there are very few who can top Dump Matsumoto. Yeah, that's the thing. It's... it's. I, I How can I put this? I think when we looked at... We originally looked at Dump Matsumoto and uh, Gokaki Dome and the Crush Girls and Jumping Bomb Angels very early on in this series. And I wanted to go a bit more in depth with Dump because she's such a fascinating character. But Chelsea uh, Spollen back then said, I'm not convinced that she knows wrestling isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> and 
that's the bit that fascinates me about Dump Matsumoto. Where does Kuru Matsumoto start and where does Dump Matsumoto start? Because they ain't that dissimilar. They can't be. They just can't be, can they? You know, it's um, it's just that she's just something special as far as believing in your gimmick and living your gimmick as best you can. Now, as John said, we've done a playlist, which we will attach to this, as we always do, featuring some of the most important matches and incidents in her career. There's 30 videos in all, and we're going to take a brief look, brief look at all of them. And they start in really the beginning of the Dump Matsumoto story and end uh, with a more modern-day match from recent years, but also we get into uh, Dump Matsumoto's retirement in 1988 under the AJW26 rule, which we'll talk about shortly. But let's start at the beginning. The earliest match I could find uh, was from the wonderful uh, channel Evite X Puro, which has a lot of Dump Matsumoto's matches. And it was Mimi Hagiwara versus Dun Matsumoto in 1983. Um, and this was probably as close to a classical wrestling match as you can see, even though Dump botches a pile driver quite badly, sorry, her leg scissors quite badly, to the point of it looking terrible. But the basic principles of what Dump Matsumoto would become are all there in this match. Would you not agree, sir? Yeah, you, you very much see what will become the future blueprint for pretty much all of Dump's matches, the characters there, and the fact that you don't really beat Matsumoto, you survive, is kind of the mentality that goes into most of the videos here. It's not it's not you wrestling Dump Matsumoto, it's like fighting a wild animal and hoping you're going to get out with all your limbs intact. <laughs> Even when she's not got like violent weaponry and about twelve different people backing her up, that's still the case here. Yes, this is. Have you heard the Jerry Reed song, "The Preacher and the Bear"? Yes. <laughs> yes. It's, this is. This is. This essentially is that. If you haven't heard the Jerry Reed song, "The Preacher and the Bear," it basically revolves around a preacher who decides one Sunday morning to go, um, go hunting, which, um, judge, which. Uh, the karma of the universe that sends a wild bear after him. Um, so the preacher, the bear, and that's a really funny story. But also, this is kind of like the Massimoto. <laughs> um, this, this this is the inspiration for Leonardo DiCaprio fighting a bear in the Revenant. <laughs> but yes, this is um, this is an interesting match, just because Dump isn't really Dump yet. She's still a, just a basic wrestler. But the actual principle of an aggrieved heel who disagrees with the the following of the rules so much that she puts in a protest to the Matsunaga brothers at the end of the match that she was hard done by, despite the fact she clearly lost in a clean pinfall. Um, and it's, there's always enough ambiguity to make it work. And even at the beginning of this match, she kind of smiles and waves to the audience. It's almost like she's a human being. But anywho, yes. It's still actually a really watchable match and holds up today because it's breakneck speed, like all AJW matches of the early 80s were. 300 mile an hour from the bell, go. And I do love the seven-man commentary team. Yeah, the, it's it's ridiculous, but it somehow works, and I'll never understand why or how. AJW used to just have an endless supply of microphones. <laughs> and there's quite clearly a local boy band who were available so they've got them sat down watching this match. Um, and that happens numerous times in this particular uh, show. There they are. Look at them. I'm watching, watching along as we go. So you've got three of them. Uh, Nice-looking young men who you wouldn't mind taking home to your mother. 
Um, and then Dunk just kicks off with a big clothesline to the face, and we're off and running. And uh, Hagigawa has to spend the next, oh, let's see, 15 minutes on the receiving end of a lump in before managing to sneak a victory with a sunset flip or some similar uh, maneuver that uh, enabled her to win. But but this is it. I- you, you never see anyone dominantly beat Dump. It's always a case of you outsmart her or you get her down for the three seconds and then you run for your life. <laughs> There's only a couple of people in wrestling history that are anything like Dump Maximoso. I suppose Bruiser Brody is the obvious one. You know, but even he was relatively controlled compared to Dump. And the other one was a British wrestler called Billy Owls, who was one of my dad's favourite wrestlers. He came along just at the start of the TV era, so he wasn't particularly well-known on television, but he had the nickname the Ever Go Forward. Never backed down from anyone, wrestled anyone, heel or face, and was just mean. (laughs) You know, just, just like... Uh, I can't remember it. My dad said he was wrestling somebody one night who had the, a ponytail. So he just tied the ponytail in the ropes. And the referee had to keep the ponytail for him to get him out of the ropes. And just stuff like that. Ours was just on a different planet. Wrestle Kendo Nagasaki one night on World of Sport TV. And there was blood everywhere. And he was never allowed on television again. That was the end of his TV career. Um, and Dump is kind of like that, but she gets away with it. He's kind of like Aja Kong with no humanity. Well, I mean, Aja was one of her proteges. She was part of the Atrocious Alliance a short, for a short-lived period of time. And, of course, when Dump retired and Bull Nakano took over the Atrocious Alliance, the whole unit turned babyface, and Aja didn't fit anymore because she was never a babyface at that particular time. And it took a long while for Aja to come around to the idea of being a babyface as a character. Um but yeah, this is, I mean, there are bits of actual wrestling in this, and you can see Dump is actually making an effort to wrestle her opponents. <laughs> but a lot of it is just power and intimidation of the referees, of the officials, of the ring announcer, of the young girls around the ring. That's the blueprint, isn't it? Very much so. Should we move on to the next match? Yes, let's do it. Oh, well, here we have... From 1984, Chigusa Nagaya, Lioness Asuka, and Yukiori Omori versus Crane Yu, Dun Masamoto, and Peggy Lee. Peggy Lee looks like she doesn't know what the hell is going on for a lot of this match. And to be honest, if you'd watch it for the first time, you won't know what's going on either. It's best of three falls in a six-woman tag match main event, and it's wild. It's just wild. And Omori, Asuka, and Nagaya with a long-term rivalries for Dump um, and Crane U. And we get to see the kind of like kind of classic tag team for the first time, the Crush Girls against the Atrocious Alliance. And it just never slows down, does it? It's just continuous, just continuous violence from both teams. This is six people who do not care none, and they just have a go at one another. For, I think the only time it ever really slows down is when a pinfall's counted and you get like the arbitrary 30 seconds of everyone looking at the sort of what the hell's just happened, who got pinned scenario <laughs> before they just start killing each other again. Yeah, and it, we have got, at this point, we've got to the classic lump of Dan Basimoto wearing leather jackets and police hats with black shades, as much layered makeup as you can possibly imagine. Um, Peggy Lee looks completely... 
relatively restrained by comparison, uh, considering the fact she was a fairly outlandish heel on the American circuit. Look, stood next to Crane U and Dump Matsumoto. She looks somewhat out of place. But then she starts fighting, and you're like, nope, now we get why she's here. <laughs> <laughs> you also have the other themes. First of all, all of the young girls and boys giving flowers to the Crush Girls and the Mori, um, you know, because this is wrestling aimed at teenage girls, essentially. And wherever you find teenage girls, you'll find teenage boys. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, and, and it, it is just... It's a cataclysm of emotions because the teenage girls in the audience are just screaming their lungs out for 25 minutes in support of whoever's in the ring. And um, Crane Yu and Dun Matsumoto and Peggy Leaf, to be fair, all know how to push those buttons to make those emotion works for all that 25 minutes. And the Crush Girls and Amori know exactly what to do back to get even more emotion out of the kids as well. And they'll come back every week to see this kind of match because it doesn't matter if it's not a great wrestling match. That's not the point. <laughs> the point is to keep them girls coming every week, isn't it? Crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, it, it, it's like... I mean, Hulk Hogan was over, but he wasn't this over. He wasn't Crush Girls in 1985 in Tokyo. No, this is like a very special level very few will ever achieve. This is, yeah, this is just, you know, and it, and it, it, and you look at the Crush Girls, and apart from the fact that Lioness Asuka is probably top five professional wrestler ever, all time, um, and Chigasaw Nagayo is probably the best storytelling brawler outside of Terry Funk ever. And they're both the two best baby faces in women's wrestling history. But they don't look like much. They look like girls next door. And that's the key to their appeal. It's like, I could be like her because she's just wearing a red Speedo and she's got a haircut short. I could do that. And that's what makes them so special. And Dump doesn't look like that. She looks otherworldly, as does Crane U. So that's the reason why this dynamic works, is because they're on the opposite ends of the spectrum of professional wrestling. I believe that's a young Condor Sato as a referee there. Other theme for Doug Matsumoto, heel referees. Always with the heel referees. Thing is, though, even they're not safe half the time because she'll just attack them as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, you're in my unit. Wait, you didn't count for me. Bam. Yeah, it's that's just it. Like, no one is safe. No, absolutely, definitely, no one is safe. And th this match goes on for, like we say, for 25 minutes, and it's just again breakneck speed. There's Dump kicking the cameraman because he's got too close, and having a chat with Jaggy Yakota. Um, when I say chat, I mean like threatening to rake her eyes out. Um, it's funny because looking at this playlist, quite a lot of the videos go quite long because it's like for all the sort of pomp, circumstance, and like viciousness, she could go for quite a while. Yeah, because it's all about drama, it's not about chain wrestling maneuvers and you know. Like the next generation of Joshi, Yukira Hokuto's, Minami Toyota's, you know, Aja Kong's, they were about wrestling perfection. They were about making the best wrestling match possible every night. Not the best wrestling match that they could have, the best wrestling match anyone could ever have every night. 
and they were this wasn't about that this was about wringing emotion out of people as much as they possibly can every time the next video is just really hilarious to me what's that one the slumber party clip. oh yes just to break the monotony i found Doug Masamoto and Bull Nakano from a bit later on, probably around about 1986, um, jumping a bunch of Crush Girls fans in their bedrooms who were having a slumber party and beating them up with kendo sticks. It, it's which just is, the most random thing you'll ever see. I don't know why we don't see more of this, to be honest with you. Because probably most wrestlers don't have slumber parties these days. <laughs> They're looking at a picture of Akira Hokuto at their slumber party. Yeah, I noticed that. I was like, oh, yeah. Akira Hokuto. Yeah, because that was a rookie year. And I'm assuming they're saying things like, I would like to be a rookie like her. And grow up to be the baddest woman that ever lived. Um, and then dump and born a carno, meander into their bedroom and destroy their bedroom. Which is slightly bizarre. <laughs> it's like the oddest concept for a promo clip. Yeah, in the context of the company, it just makes perfect sense. Of course it is. You know, fans getting beaten up by wrestlers. That's that's what happens at AJW shows. <laughs> I mean, it does oh. its dumps around. It does. Let us move on to the next one, which is the all-time classic women's wrestling match of AJW history, the Crush Girls versus the Atrocious Alliance for the WWWA World Tag Team Championships. By there's some flower girls lined up in this one. This is proper wrestling, this is. I'm looking at the hall. It looks like a Saka Joe hall, actually, looking at the roof. And there are probably about 5,000 people in there. They're all at least under 16, and they're all screaming continuously from the moment they kick off to the moment the match starts. They're just... I You forget that the Crush Girls, like, theme music had Chigaso Atsuka in the lyrics. So the kids knew how to to chant for their favourites. There is amazingly in this match, it might be this match, it might be in the early match, girls dressed in um, graduation gowns in the colour of their favourite crush girl with uh, foghorns screaming to make that it even was louder. Six person, I think. Yes, but it's still, it shows you the level of devotion the crush girls had at this point in their careers. Yeah, it, it's wild. It's as I said, it's something you won't see these days. Like this was a very special like company for sort of fan appreciation in a very like I don't know how to describe it. It's just something you wouldn't see anymore, really, is it? No company has drawn that level of dedication from its audience. Not uh, that, I mean, you have like one-offs like GCW and Nick Gage, I suppose, but that's 2,000 people, not 5,000 people. And and as much as great as Nick Gage is, he's not getting 18% of the television audience, is he? <laughs> you know, it's it's remarkable what they managed to do in such a short period of time. It was just, it was just special wrestling and Dump was as much a part of that as, as the Crush Girls were. So arguably, you can't have positive fan reception without something to rail against. No, that's it. And this was what it's all about. And at this point, you've kind of got the classic atrocious alliance. You've got Crane U in her full pomp. You've got Dump in her full pomp. You've got Bull Nakano, got her head shaved. <laughs> she hasn't started the steroids yet, but she's well on her way to bulking up. 
No, and she, by the way, no one, that's not news. Paul Nakano did use steroids. She talked about it openly in several books. So I'm fine to say that. Uh, remarkably, the AJW doctors didn't know what they would do to her. So they said, don't do it. But she did it anyway. But there you go. It was the 80s. Um, in this particular match as well, um, there's some discussion as to what referee they were going to have. And they ended up with the atrocious Alliance heel referee. He usually wears red trousers. Um, and uh, he actually called the match right down the middle, which was intriguing. Because <laughs> it's like, well, why would you do that? You're a heel referee. But assumably he was under orders he'd get suspended if he didn't. So, but yeah, this is a, uh, this is an absolute thriller as well. This is a proper uh, storytelling match. They do kind of keep it more to the rules because it's a world championship match. So there's a bit more respect there. So not much, mind. But there is a bit more respect about it all. So I think this is probably the most watchable wrestling match on this selection. Would you agree? Uh, probably. From like a pure wrestling standpoint, I'd agree. But I, I enjoy some of the later matches just because you start fa- playing the game of where's, where's uh, Dump hiding a weapon this time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was more, it was more reliant on outside interference, which is obviously a big thing win Bullet Club at the minute with the House of Torture, which, um, depending on who you talk to, is ruining New Japan Pro Wrestling for everybody, or is really ruining New Japan Pro Wrestling for everybody. Somebody commented this morning, commented this morning was, evil joining Bullet Club was the worst thing New Japan ever did, except for show joining Bullet Club. (laughs) Which I thought was, you know, wholeheartedly against this entire idea. Please stop this. It's rubbish. Um, but there you go. Uh, but I think as well, these ladies and gentlemen did it with a lot more panache and style. Plus, they were the first ones to do it really well, weren't they? Yeah, they they seem to be a lot. There's a lot more balance to it. It's not all just oh, get on the apron, oh, get on the apron, do this, do that. There's always a rhythm or a reason to it. And normally, it's it's not quite as egregious. <laughs> I don't. Is that- you can look at this and you think, right, that that makes sense. Whereas when you look at the like when the Bullet Club stuff do it now, it's just like, oh, they're doing it for the sake of doing it. Ugh. Typical yeah. Bullet Club. Whereas with this, it was like, oh shit, the Alliance is swarming again. Oh no, yeah. run for your life. <laughs> it means something when they do it because it's actually a threat. When Bullet Club do it these days, it's just an annoyance. Yes. Um, as if you've been watching Best of Super Juniors and World Tag League this year, you'll attest to uh, so far. Um, or as I believe someone pulled it, Dick Togoed. Oh, God, just... have they started ruining Shaw's matches now? Yeah. Oh, for fuck's sake. And, like, and, the kid and... could wrestle perfectly fine. He <laughs> could heal it up without Dick Togo being there to ruin everything. Christ, have some faith in your bloody wrestlers. And Yujiro in Evil as well, obviously, because they wrestled, they wrestled Tanner. I will say, honestly, World Tag League this year, they've done something different. I mean, it's made it obvious who's going to win, but they have done something different, and I applaud that. Like, they've gone for the odd couple teams. So, Yuji Nagata is tagging with Tiger Mask. Wow. And uh, uh, Minoru Suzuki got Takamichi Noku back. Wait, really? Yeah, that was oh, the that's opening. Awesome. 
Um, <laughs> that was the opening match this morning uh, on this morning show, and they Zach and Tai Chi. They were wrestling Zach and Tai Chi, and they slaughtered Taka, and you can guess he won. Anyway, at the end of the match, Taka Tai Chi goes, "What are you bringing him back for?" He went, because he's my friend. Like, you're my friend and he's my friend. So he's back. And they were, all right then. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose enough time's blown over since the last scandal. So they're like, right, yes. they have to bring him back. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. But hey, at least Taka actually apologized for his actions and paid penance because he lost his job in New Japan. He had to sell off uh, K1 Dojo and Kai and Tai. And had to start again with a new company and end up working for All Japan. So at least he did actually show some form of, you know, remorse for his actions, which is what Speaking Out was about. Anywho. I thought he just had an affair. I didn't realise he abused anyone. Like He didn't abuse anyone. He had an affair and had a child with that person. It's like, how sad is it in the grand scheme of things that that doesn't seem that egregious? No, that was it. It's like, that's not actually having an affair, is it? That's having a relationship with somebody else. How you manage to keep a secret lover and child from your wife and all of your co-workers in three different companies. I have no idea, but there you go. Anywho. (laughs) We're getting Um, to two of my favourite matches from the playlist now. Yes. Oh, just for the other odd person tag team. Tori Yano and Hiroshi Tanahashi. See, that's a team that could really work. (laughs) Yeah, it does as well. It's really cool. Um, It's it's because they both like cooking. I just hope for it that it gets to the point where Yano's trying to do something that's like devious and Tanahashi just slaps him on the wrist and is like, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Tanahashi's all in. He's a heel, but he's a proper chaos member now. Oh, wow. <laughs> Don't yeah, do no. this to me. I do it's, not want to have to watch Tag League. Don't do this to me. You know, you know, Rocky called him an honorary member of chaos. I think this is slightly more than honorary now. <laughs> I think he's probably filled the application for me. The card is looking it over. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, this we've got off the point as we normally do. But yeah, this match is, you know, it it really kind of sums up where they're at because the baby faces all kind of band together to protect against the atrocious alliance. So there's lots of back and forth outside the ring. But again, it's all about emotional um, manipulation of the audience. And there weren't two tag teams that did it this well at all. Um, that well, there are other tag teams we'll talk about later on, but this was exceptional, I think. Yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed this. Now, of course, Dump was most well known as um, a professional wrestler in tag team wrestling, but obviously she had a very big singles career as well because she has a massive draw, as you'd expect. And so the first singles match we have on air is from the semi-final of the 1985 Japan Grand Prix against Chigasaw Nagayo again. It's difficult not to find tapes with these two are wrestling each other, to be honest with you, because um, they're married together. And this is one of three matches that we're going to talk about on this particular uh, selection. This is kind of the opening gambit of the story. And essentially, this goes to a 20-minute time limit draw. But because Chigasaw Nagayo is bleeding so profusely, she can't continue, and Dump goes to the final. Sorry to spoil the ending for you, but we can't talk about it without talking about the ending because it makes no sense otherwise um but yeah this is a bit more of a straight up brawl and a bit more direct action but it sets up the story of Chikasa Nagayo and Matsumoto as singles wrestlers which is really important 
What's your thoughts on this one, John? Yeah, this is where it all starts getting rather nasty, which is instantly where my interest peaked, because, as I said, you don't tend to wrestle Dump Matsumoto, you fight her. And this is where you really start to see that edge come out. And as you said, Nakayo is bleeding buckets by the end of this. Yes, this is not for the faint-hearted. It's rather gruesome, which immediately was just like, yep, I love this. This is fun. (laughs) (laughs) And it was the usual. This is more kind of like the uh, dump using weapons and trying to develop her heel persona. But she's got the character down to intimidation, of intimidation down to a T. And Nagayo is the person, perfect person to exploit that because she's the most over babyface you can possibly imagine. Um, probably even more than Asuka was at the time, just slightly. Um, Asuka was the better wrestler, but Nagayo had more impassioned promos and was just just connected with an audience so well. Um, and yeah, is there anything else you want to add about this match? Because a lot of these matches are much of a muchness when it comes to actual wrestling action. This is not like, you know, technical mastery or submission heaven or even great brawling. It's all about the story. So there's not a lot we can talk about the spots and the bumps, what have you. It's just the way it is. But they are trying to kind of like top each other each time they do this, which becomes a bit of a theme for Joshi wrestling over the next 10 years. Yeah, you start to just sort of realise that you're not here for the wrestling so much as you are for the character drama. It's it's a wrestling soap opera in some ways, but like the the level of professionalism that goes into this shit, the amount of psychology and crowd reading and just timing for everything is what makes it impressive. And as I said, yeah. Dump Matsumoto's ability to hide weapons anywhere is just kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, we started this match with Chigasora beating up the referee, obviously, because he's a heel referee. And she doesn't think he's going to do him right, do her right. And to be honest, they actually managed. She the fact she survives to twenty minutes is a good kind of good a good idea of how it's going to start. <laughs> so yes, it just like it's just intense, absolutely intense. This was a one night tournament for the Japanese Grand Prix in 1985, and this was even before they'd done the ring announcements. They started beating into each other. So that'll tell you how fast they were going. This was a time before people did get jumped before the bell. But it sets up the story. Carry on. The funny thing is, this continues into the next match as well. Because a similar thing happens in the final. So yeah, so of course, um, because Dump won and Shigasaw could not continue, Lioness Asuka comes straight down. And they start swinging for the fences straight away. Shigasaw Nagai obviously is coaching her tag team partner, Lioness Asuka. And the rest of the atrocious alliance are backing up Dump. Um, and that's that, you know, Chigasaw looks like she's about to faint from blood loss anyway. She's got a shirt tied around her head. Um, Dump is bleeding profusely. Kondo Saito is trying to stop her from, like, you know, starting anything too early. Um, and we're about to kick off for the final of the match, which is going to be uh, Dump Matsumoto versus Linus Asuka. And it it just is... It just tells the story so well, you know. It takes them... 15 minutes of shit kicking. (laughs) It is. It's just just like, there's no back and forth. It's one person or the other knocking seven bells out of each other. There's a one rest moment where Linus Asuka's got a body scissors on Dump, and Dump's just punching her in the face whilst that's happening. And then Linus Asuka dumps her, punches her back. It's just, 
again, I'm not convinced she doesn't know wrestling is real. <laughs> Isn't real. <laughs> like, none of these matches are pleasant. Like, I imagine no. you're hurting like a bitch after these. Like, nobody is soft in any of these. It's very, well, apart from one later down the line, but like, I feel that's more the product it's on rather than who's yes. in it. But just, it's, uh, sorry, it's very on. snug. It's very snug, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's just violent and painful. <laughs> and I mean, Karen, sorry. It's as close to real as you will see from this style of wrestling, I think. Aside, aside from like proper true shoot style, which yeah. won't come along for women for another 10 years or so. But I think as well, it's that pressure cooker. You know, these four set the standard. That's why the AJW girls of the 90s were so good, was because you got to top that. There you go. 18% of the television audience are watching two women wrestle. Go on, get better than that. Do more, do better, do stuff. And that's where that pressure cooker that made AJW wrestling in the 90s so special, these women started it. And it's not as technically good as they are. Linus Asker was probably as technically good as the next generation of women, and Jaggi Yukoto definitely was. But, you know, this isn't about great technical wrestling. It's about um, telling a story and burning emotions up. And that's probably the reason why they could feud for more or less five years on and off. But shall we go to the next match? Yes, this one will be familiar to certain people because you did it for the Deathmatch calendar. I did, yes. This was one of my favourite deathmatches of all time which is Chigusa Nagayo versus Dump Matsumoto in a hair-versus-hair Kamakeri deathmatch, which kicked off because Dump Matsumoto interrupted a Crush Girls performance um, at a show. And having had enough of um, Dump Matsumoto, she laid down the ultimate challenge, Kamakeri deathmatch, hair-versus-hair. And again, I'm just fast-forwarding through it here. I'm six minutes into a 15-minute video before we actually get any wrestling because it takes that long for Dump to get to the ring. Dump's haircuts are also spectacular, as well as her makeup. Her makeup now covers her entire face. She's got this kind of uh, Mexican death mask thing going on. Um, uh, then you realise, actually, that isn't actually Dump Matsumoto. It's um, Crane Yu dressed up like Dump Matsumoto. <laughs> and then Dump Matsumoto says, all right, then it's me. <laughs> And then they belt into one another. And the first thing Dump does is run Nagayo's head straight into the ring posts from the outside in. And that sets the tone for the rest of the match because it's 15 minutes of pure bloody violence as, as Matsumoto tries to assault uh, Nagayo. It's not a wrestling, it's a mugging. And Nagayo only gets a little bit ahead once in the entire match, which was unusual because most of these matches were seriously back and forth. But Dump dominates Nagayo, who is humiliated by a clean loss to Dump Matsumoto. And, of course, losing her hair in the process. What's your thoughts on this one, John? Yeah, this was vicious. Like, there's... I now get what you mean when you're like, does she know it's fake? <laughs> this is, it, again, it's really goddamn sort of just tough to watch. Very bloody, very violent borderline assault levels of action. I mean, yeah. It's also, like, it's no disqualification because it's um, a Kamakiri deathmatch. 
So there's interference all over the place, and that's perfectly legal. The referee's trying to stop Dump from choking Chugasunagaya with a chain. Because <laughs> she's basically hanging her by a chain. It's just it's just all levels of violence and just being let loose. Um, and you can't really believe that it's um, allowed. <laughs> it is it's very terrifying. sort of just... You look at it and you're like, wow, they were they were willing to really put it all on the line. They were, but also Nagayo's looking weak, and she's the biggest baby face in the company at the time, and she allowed herself to look weak because the payoff isn't this match. The payoff is the next match. And that was very re- sensible wrestling IQ to be allowed to like let go this much. And then we get to yeah, I was gonna say, and then we get to like the little stopgap match where there's someone who might potentially be scarier than Dump. <laughs> yes, um, that match made a Dump obviously as having just destroyed the biggest baby face in the company, a fairly high ranked contender for the WWWA Women's Championship. Um, now uh, Nigayo wrestled Dump in August. And then she wrestled the WWA Women's Champion, Devil Masami, uh, in uh, the December of that year, looking to unseat her for the world title, which was, of course, founded by Mildred Burke. Um, and this match is actually a proper technical wrestling match. Surprisingly enough, there's plenty of shenanigans to keep the referee busy. And uh, Dump has got quite the haircut and makeup job, hasn't she? This, this is, is quite remarkable. She's gone for the rainbow mohawk, isn't it? And... Yes, with a with a quiff, rainbow yeah. mohawk with a quiff. It's it's just amazing, to be honest with you. <laughs> you think there will be no one like Dump Matsumoto again? <laughs> um, and there's also the Pacific all all women the um, Pacific Women's Championship is also on the line. I think the title was vacant for the WWWA Championship. And because uh, Devil Masami was the All-Pacific champion, she'd be the number one contender. Dump was the number two contender. So they wrestled each other for all of the belts. And, um, yeah, this was absolutely a great standout performance by Devil Masami. And one day we should probably do a a profile of Devil Masami because she's worth it on her own. She doesn't get as much kudos as she really should do because she became along kind of an in-between era between Jaggi Yakota and between the Crush Girls and kind of got a little bit swamped at times. But one of the best matches I ever saw was Devil Masami versus Chigasa Nagayo from Dream Slam 1. And this is a high level on this with a really interesting finish as well because Devil Masami manages to get a second rope electric chair on Dump Matsumoto. Just. <laughs> yeah, this is... This match makes Devil Masami scarier than Dump Matsumoto because she made Dump Matsumoto wrestle her match. Yes. This is probably one of the few times on this playlist where Dump Matsumoto is not in control of everything. (laughs) And, like, the amount of enemies she's made across the company comes back to bite her in the ass. (laughs) But, of course, yes. Yes, it's, it's, it's essentially a team effort to make sure Dump is not the champion. And that's, that's an echo that you get in modern-day wrestling. I mean, when Jay White became leader of Bullet Club, 
and Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada saw the threat that he presented to New Japan Pro Wrestling as a whole, they buried the hatchet to bury Jay White because Chaos and Hontai can coexist quite happily if it means Bullet Club not back to full strength like they were under Devitt. We're not going through that shit again. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) that's the reason why it made such a... It's the Jay White is the reason why there was a thaw between Chaos and Hontai, and essentially you get things like you know Hiroshi Tanahashi and Toriyano in World Tag League. <laughs> Basically, Jay White is the greatest again. Um, well, someone might uh, say something. I don't know if you saw New Japan's results from uh, the New Japan Strong pay per view last night. I mean, win or lose, Jay White is the greatest. He lost. <laughs> it happens. They're never as as, open weight. As long as he lost well. He lost the never open weight championship to Tomohiro Ishii. Um, I'm fine with this. Ishii getting another title. <laughs> to be fair, yeah. speaking of Ishii, there was a West Coast Pro Show the other night. I didn't get to watch it live, but I've seen the gifts. And Vinny Masaro is fighting Tomohiro Ishii, and it looks like one of the snuggest wrestling matches ever. So oh, I can't Vinny. I can't wait for that to hit IWTV, hopefully. Vinny will be so happy with that. He loves Sushi. Vinny's one of my followers, you know. <laughs> I only discovered him recently because he gets into a lot of back and forth with, like, Jody and other sort of jokey slash sort of, like, internet wrestlers. Yeah. And just, holy shit, I've sort of looked through the back catalogue of matches he's had with, like, big names and, like... How would He's I one of those guys. Until then, he's like he was he he was on the he was on the last season of Lucha Underground. That's where I found him, and he, there was a bunch of them started following people to try and like get the name out there. And obviously, because I'd written a lot about Lucha Underground at the time, um, he followed me, which was cool. Then right then, Wolf. But yes, we've got another uh, violent hair versus hair match. Yes, after losing the title, of course, uh, Chigusa Nagaya was still back in the mainframe for Dump Matsumoto as the never-ending story of Dump and Chigusa. Well, it had an end, but we'll get to that in time. <laughs> um, this particular version is the full 45 minutes version with all the build-up, including the press conference with a dead chicken. Um, yes, Dump Matsumoto sacrificed a chicken for Chigusa Nagaya. Um, yeah, this was... this. This match is insane. Um, it was the only match I didn't have to watch uh, for this show because it's etched in my brain from the first time I watched it, and I will never forget it. It's that good. Yeah, <laughs> it gets pretty fucked up. The first manoeuvre is Dunk Matsumoto stabbing the referee in the forehead with a pair of scissors, and after that, it goes downhill. <laughs> There's, it's just a mess in the best way possible. It's... Oh, man. I was not watching this one, I was just like, all right, dead chicken, that's that's interesting. <laughs> no way the match is going to be as disturbing as that. Oh, my God. The... Again, this got, like, the death match hounding me excited. It was... It was nasty. It's it it's this is just like I can't describe how like have, have you seen the Would I Lie to You where Bob well Bob Mortimer says that uh, 
ever since uh, say, if no, was a Chris Rio once where I'm in a bath and, and I cracked a raw egg into it, and David Mitchell's team were like, well, after ten minutes, like, well, it's got it's Bob, so it's got to be true. And of course, it was a lie. <laughs> and David Mitchell goes, of course it's a lie. Who would think it wasn't a lie? And this is that wrestling match. Like, this can't possibly happen. You can't allow this kind of thing to happen in public. Why would you let this kind of thing to happen in public? It's just that reaction of visceral disbelief that anyone could do this to each other in public and get paid to do it. It's like, don't forget, I watch matches which feature copious amounts of broken glass, barbed wire and blood on a daily basis. And even I was kind of just like, what the fuck is going on here? It's just, it's on a different level of violence. Not because it's that violent. There isn't the big weapon spots or exploding barbed wire cage matches. It's just two people hitting each other really, really hard in a very visceral, visceral way. And they know they have to do it because it's the only way this match will work. And they're both gassed up, bleeding buckets. The referee's bleeding buckets by the end of this match. And they're just the sense of relief on Chigasonagaya's face that it's just over at the end. That has to be real. That's not a sell. That is just, it's just on a different planet. I mean, this guy starts with a sword in a hand <laughs> just to kind of like kick things off. And Masamoto has such an incredible mohawk, uh, rainbow mohawk, which is just insane. And they have to undress Matsumoto because she's come wearing a full samurai uh, kit. And it's, it's just on another planet. It's just out of this world wrestling. Basically, we're, we are recommending you watch this match. You have to watch this match. If you never watch any other professional wrestling match in the rest of your life, you have to watch this match. Because you will never believe that it actually happened. <laughs> uh, where are we? Um, right then. We'll move I on, though. The best, 85. Dump Matsumoto and Bull Nakano versus the Jumping Bomb Angels. Now, if, as you go, as second feuds go in your history, Bull Nakano and Matsumoto versus Jumping Bomb Angels is outstanding. It doesn't have the same visceral fan-level impact as the Crush Girls did, but on some nights, the Jumping Bomb Angels were nearly as popular as the Crush Girls, and in some places, more popular than the Crush Girls. Believe it or not, New York City... Jumping Bomb Angels could do no wrong in New York City. Madison Square Garden was like their front room. Crush Girls, crickets. Well, you know, no accounting for taste, is there? But there you go. Um, <laughs> and the Bomb Angels were an outstanding tag team. They were the first real generation jump of being technical masters. They were the ones that really were innovative. They were coming up with new stuff all the time, which made them such a fresh tag team to watch. And, of course, they had the big run in the WWE, um, which uh, the other American teams, the, the other Japanese teams didn't quite get because I don't think they connected in the same way the Jumping Bomb Angels did. But um, Dump and Bull Nakano, as Crane U has retired and uh, Bull is taking her place, this was the first time you see the two of them tagging together in a significant way. And I thought they worked really, really well together. Don't know what the body paint deal was about. There was an awful lot of body paint on showing this matchup. I think it was just some experiment with imagery again. <laughs> but that, that's the thing with Dump. Like, and the sort of horrendous alliance is just, yeah, yeah. 
their image continuously changes up to try and be scarier and scarier. What did you think of the Bomb Angels? See, I was always a fan of the Bomb Angels. I used to have like a lot of the older WWE shows on VHS, and the Bomb Angels featured quite a lot on those. And so, like, they were kind of ingrained in my brain as a as I was younger. Mm. And yeah, it's nice to go back and sort of revisit them and see that yeah, they were as good as I remember, and they're working well against total monsters. <laughs> Right, in... Is this the match that has the bloody ice bucket electric chair? Oh, yes. Because that, that spot... Possibly. I watch... In one of these matches, there is an ice bucket doomsday device, and it is fucking hilarious. It's just... I mean, it, it is just like... Again, it's intimidation and intensity, because Dump is about the same size as both of the Jumping Bomb Angels put together. But the, bomb, the Jumping Bomb Angels won't back down because they're double ad. And they know they're better wrestlers than the Atrocious Alliance are, so they can have them. <laughs> and that's that's the thing. That's the that's the tension, isn't it? I think one of my favourite things is Dump Matsumoto is only five foot four, but you'd mm-hmm. think she's a giant the way she carries herself. Yeah, she she oversells what she is. There is confidence when she walks into a room. You know, she and she has that kind of personality when she walks into a room, even without the makeup. When you look at the first match. You watch her walk to the ring. She has a presence that most wrestlers don't have. Um, but yeah, should we move on to the next one? We are kind yeah, of flashing this... through these today because there's lots of stuff to watch. Oh, <laughs> uh, this this match sucked. <laughs> <laughs> and then from the sublime to the ridiculous, which is Don Matsumoto and Bolacano in the WWE. More specifically, Boston Gardens in 1986, wrestling Velvet McIntyre and Don Marie. Now, Val McIntyre was a pretty handy wrestler. Dawn Marie was a, a bit of a great moolah bump machine. The Harley Race, the Harley Race, Harley Race fabulous moolah take a load of bumps and, and look heroic kind of uh, wrestling style. And they're up against um, Don Matsumoto and Bull Nakano, who've just kind of landed in Boston and are really trying to figure out what they need to do to get over with this crowd. And it, they do. It takes a long time. <laughs> it's just so awkward. Like, the teams didn't really know how to work with each other. I'm never going to be able to watch Bull Nakano be the weak link in a team. And I just, I don't know, This the commentary was pissing me off. Yes, commentary is courtesy of Judo Al Hayes, or Lord Alfred Hayes, and of course, Gorilla Monsoon, which, which isn't as misogynist, but it's not. It isn't as misogynistic and casually racist as you'd imagine it would be, um, but it's still not brilliant, even for the time. Um, and yes, uh, Alfred on commentary is always an adventure, shall it's we say. like the first five minutes trying to work out if Dump Matsumoto is a boy or a girl. Yeah, all right, so it is probably a bit more misogynistic than I thought it was. And also, you know, Bull Neneo, not Nakano, uh, Gorilla. You, you want sorting out for that. Interestingly, clearly Velvet McIntyre had forgotten her boots. Yeah, they were like, oh, she's wrestling barefoot tonight. That's that's interesting. So then they go on to claim that Samoans wrestle barefoot because it helps their feet stick to the mat. Yeah, no, but that's, that's, <laughs> not, that's not unbelievable, is it? No, you but know. you don't really apply that same logic to... <laughs> Someone who's 90 pounds soaking went through. 
Yeah. <laughs> you just sort of look at it and like, I've heard of leaps in logic, but you're really taking the piss here. Well, yeah, the, 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 at least they tried. At least they tried to explain the way. And Gorilla Monsoon said, well, either look, one of two things happened. She's either looking for some extra foot speed or she's forgotten the boots. <laughs> Which is accurate. Yes. And, you know, Gorilla was a wrestling genius, so I'll take his word for it. I just but this match didn't piss me off on commentary. This match was not great. Um, basically, like because like you said, they, they really no got no chemistry together whatsoever. I think Velvet McIntyre works okay, but she'd spent some time in Japan, so she'd wrestled them a couple of times before. But Don Marie may as well have been trying to wrestle a brick wall. It won't go happen. <laughs> it's like they're trying to have a WWE match when they really don't want to have a WWE match. No, they want to have an All Japan Women's match. <laughs> They they don't know what a WWE women's match is, um, but yeah, it it's just the way things are. Anywho, it is interesting from a historical point of view, and does go to show that you know Vince McMahon does occasionally take a chance, and uh, sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. This was one of those times it did. It is just weird seeing Bull Nakano before like the supreme dominant phase she goes on in a few years' time. Hey, maybe this was the way she got the idea of wrestling barefoot. Maybe. Maybe so. Maybe Velvet McIntyre had more of an influence on professional wrestling than she thought she did. But there you go. There's a lovely night trip from Velvet McIntyre there. She could really go. Yeah, she, she does manage to save the match to a degree, but you just it's so awkward and stilted. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's go on to the last section of the full-time active career of Dunk Matsumoto, which is the retirement matches of Dunk Matsumoto, as you'd expect. There was two retirement nights. There was the ceremonial retirement night, and there was the proper retirement night, as it says in the blurb. The proper retirement night there are highlights of, uh, which we'll go over now, because uh, she retired at the same time as Yukiari Omori, from who we talked about from the first match. And Amori wrestled um, Lioness Asuka in her final final match. And Dump, for some reason, wrestled Bull Nakano and Kondo Sato in her final final match, giving her friends a good hiding um, in the final final match as she dominated both of them. It was on a Here's house show with household cameras. Here's something to remember me by permanent scarring. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, but... The actual ceremonial retirement night, Yokari Amori tagged with Dump Matsumoto, which is insane, as they spent a good part of the previous three years trying to murder one another against the Crush Girls. So the first match, because there's a surprise after this one, is intense, and it goes for, a, I think it's a 20-minute, half a half-hour time limit draw, I think. I think it's really... Yeah. I kind of got lost in it, so I kind of lost track of time. Everyone bleeds, because everyone makes each other bleed. Dump blades at one point. Nagayo got cut open by Dump. Amori cut open Lioness Asuka and their friends. Um, and then uh, I think Asuka also got, got sliced open by Dump as well. They go for a half hour in this breathtaking non-stop brawl with very little interference by the way because dumps told the girls to cool it for one night they nearly murder each other they're blown up and then lioness asker goes do you fancy swapping sides for a change (laughs) (laughs) 
Sachiga Sonagaya tags with Dunk Matsumoto against Amori and Lioness Asuka in a five-minute exhibition match. And then and they all hug the and... most random thing ever. And it, it's just insane. And they go full tilt for five minutes after this bloody murder of a match that could qualify as mugging. And then they have another go. <laughs> I mean, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it, when you think about it. Dump Matsumoto, master of bloody chaos, just like retires in the bloodiest, craziest, unbelievable way after 35 minutes of just pure violence. And then they hug each other and that's and the girls in the audience start crying because they've realised they've lost the monster and the Kush girls will never be the same again. So even when she leaves, she crushes everybody. Even when she turns babyface and leaves, she crushes everyone on the way out the door. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a remarkable piece of work and a remarkable career. And it was the ideal send-off, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it's really... It's that moment where you sort of realise just how important Matsumoto has been to the entire system for AJW. Yeah, definitely. Without her, you don't get the big boom period of the 90s in match quality, at least. And we did um, add one more match, which is a more modern match. I think it's probably around about 2014, because it wasn't the end of Dunn Matsumoto's career. She does occasionally wrestle, even to this day. So I put one more match on the disc there so you can see what she's up to these days from a channel called Women's Wrestling Japan, which does a lot of indie wrestling. And Dun Matsumoto tagged with Zap. Um, Zap was a heel from the later days of AJW against Hiro Nagashima and Mayu Takasaki um, three, from three years ago. So this would have been 2018. And Dump still Dump. I mean, Zap, yeah. Zap is in her early 40s and can still go. Dump is in her early 50s. And hasn't really got any knees anymore. So she just doesn't even bother with going outside the rope. She just kind of stands in the corner until she's required. <laughs> Yet she's still got that presence. It's That's it. Like she's, she's smaller, she's older, but she's still going to kick your ass. There was a point when she was wrestling for 666 where she had an entire faction of minions. That um, sounds incredible. Yeah, when she, I remember probably about 2013, she would come to the ring with um, like great ceremony in these six men who had shaved heads that looked like Shaolin monks, uh, but evil. <laughs> it was quite quite the thing. Uh, but what do you think Don Matsumoto's lasting legacy is to the wrestling industry? Well, I think you summed it all perfectly near the start. It's a case of did she know it was fake? Because <laughs> we have one of the most like gifted, larger than life, self-assured, violent as fuck heels to ever exist in wrestling. Like she is basically the blueprint for what would kind of become the sort of Aja Kong style of fighting almost. Just obviously Aja Kong is a better wrestler. Mm. It's you make your opponent fight your match, you Dominate as much as you can, and you just give everyone hell. Like she's I think, like really yeah. unique, yet she has also managed to lay the groundwork for so many wrestlers. It's pretty impressive. I think so as well. I think her level of ceremony and intimidation, because she's done Masamoto. You just look at her, and you see there was obviously a massive influence on Bull Nakano, who was a protege. 
but you see it in the the tag wrestlers of today, uh, certainly in uh, certainly in a lot of the big heel teams, monster heel teams. She was probably quite an influence on Big Van Vader, I would think. Um, obviously an influence on Bullet Club, obviously an influence on a lot of the sneaky heel stuff that you see nowadays, because they were the ones that kind of perfected the whole thing. And certainly a massive influence on Oz Academy, um, where their Hontai team is entirely like the Atrocious Alliance were back in the 80s and kind of rely on that because it was founded on Gaia when Chigasaw and Gaia wanted a heel faction. She made them look like a cookie dome, and that ended up being an entirely different company that outlived Gaia. So, yeah, I think Dump Masamoto is one of the most influential professional wrestlers who ever lived, and we don't really scratch the surface of what she's responsible for. Yeah, so hopefully the Netflix documentary is available across all languages, because I really want to watch it. I hope it's not a Japanese Netflix exclusive. Hopefully so. Well, thank you for listening to the Troopany Show today. My name is James Troopany. You can find me at Sheriff Lone Star on Twitter. And on the Troopany Show, you can find us at Troopany Show on Twitter and the Troopany Show on Facebook and Patreon, where you keep the Troopany Show free forever for everyone. Mr. Dinsdale, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me at John Deathman on Twitter. That is kind of the gateway of hell to hell that will lead you to all my writings, my opinions, my ramblings. Where And obviously... Keep it tuned to Steel Chair because we've got NGI coverage coming tonight. There you go. Um, I will be back later in the week with uh, today at the World Tag League slash Best of Super Juniors. Probably not every night like I have been doing for the G1 just because I've moved to my new house and it takes me a long time to get things done. (laughs) Um, And I have neighbours now that can hear me when I podcast. So uh, it makes it a bit more difficult. But we'll try. We'll see what we can do. Uh, In the meantime, thank you for listening today. Take care, and we'll speak to you next week. Bye!